Historically and today, our country has been overrun by those with money and power, giving little voice to the everyday American. We're here to change that. Welcome to All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. Each week, our program addresses the problems we are facing in our country, as well as thought-provoking and effective libertarian solutions. This could change the way you see opportunities in your life and your children's lives as well. Now, here is Judge Jim Gray. Hello and welcome again wherever you are in our great country or around the world. This is Judge Jim Gray on the Voice America Variety Channel, and I'm just always excited. Just It's fun to be with you, to share thoughts, to share ideas, to share human experiences on another edition of All Rise, the Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray. The idea being that if we employ libertarian values of responsibility at all levels of society, pursuing your dreams, uh, understanding that you too can, can make a difference, can be successful, etc. We will all rise together, and it's really an individual effort, a lot more than government. So that's that's kind of where our focus is each Friday morning at ten o'clock Eastern or seven o'clock Pacific time, and we'll discuss real issues of our day. But today we have just what I would call a role model. Uh, this is Lisa Turner as our guest from uh, Hayesville, North Carolina, and she just actually represents my long time view that if you think you can do something, you are more likely to try. And if you think you can do something and try it, you're much more likely to succeed. And that's who we have in Lisa Turner. You know, she grew up, as I understand it, and we'll hear her story, in a neighborhood of boys, and she simply never understood why she couldn't take the same classes, a shop classes, be a mechanic, or to build an airplane. And so, as I understand it, she made a promise to her mother that uh, she would pursue. We're going to find out what that promise was, but she actually ended up building an airplane in a garage at the age of 45. And her family and friends that thought she was crazy, but she, she continued to build it. And then she went on a, a solo flight, 4,000 miles, which she said changed her life for. Boy, I can imagine. But she wants to share that enlightenment with others. So she even wrote a book, and we'll talk about that as well. It's called Logically, Dream, Take, Flight, a Memoir. So I just can't wait to hear more about this this wonderful, <laughs> inventive, exciting lady. Lisa Turner, welcome to All Rise. Judge Jim, thank you so much. It is an honor to be on your program today. Well, and it's fun, too. At least that's kind of the idea. But uh, give us a little of your background. Uh, who is Lisa Turner? And uh, for heaven's sake, how did you decide to build an airplane? Well, how many hours do we have? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All, you uh, want. All you want. I, I'd like to ask the listeners to think about their own childhood. And they're probably saying, oh, no, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. Each one of us has events that we'll never forget. They're events that we we remember because of the emotional content. And there may be, uh, when we grew up, there may be some trauma, some moments uh, that, are, that are really deep. Uh, but it's when we experience the depth of our emotional connections that w- we grow. My dad left the family when I was six years old, and my brother and sister were much older and they were out of the house, and I was best friends with my mom. And she spoiled me and told me I could do anything. 
In spite of that, though, I was very introverted and shy. I was supposed to go to school by walking through the backyard because the school was, was pretty close to the house. But I was so introverted that I'd walk up to the schoolyard and I'd look in and I'd get scared and I'd turn around and go home. Well, I was doing that every day and my mother didn't know I was doing that. So uh, one day I, I returned to the house and I went into a closet that was underneath the stairs and I would hide in there. I mean, talk about introverted. I really was. And I heard a knock on the door and I went, oh, no. And I went running out of the closet. I went upstairs and, and opened the door and here was this scary looking lady outside the door. And she said, I'm the truancy officer. And so I went, oh, no. Well, come on in. And so she came in and... um I, I ran and got my mother, and anyway, it was very emotional, and I just remember it like, like it was yesterday, and the, the, we um, had a, I had a pet chameleon that my brother had given me, and the, it had gotten out that morning, and the, what saved the day was the truancy officer was there saying, you know, Lisa's got to go to school. My mother's saying, yes, yes, well, I'll put her on the school bus now, and they're all making these arrangements, and the chameleon... Had the, was the, was green, the same color as the truancy officer's dress. And the chameleon jumped on her, and so she jumped up and ran away. And she got in her car and and drove off. So my mother looked at me and she said, "You you've got to to uh, make a promise to me to do better in school." And of course, I made that promise to my mother. But shortly after that, she became ill. And uh, she told me that she had to go into the hospital. And when I go to the relative's house later that day on the bus, and, uh, and I said, of course, yes. And she looked at me intently. She gave me a big hug. And she watched me walk up the, the um, road to the school bus. And I turned around and looked at her. And she was silhouetted in the door. And I waved, and she waved back. And that was the last time I saw her. Wow. So uh, that was a significant emotional event for me. And the listeners, I just want you to think about this. You have a choice in the moment um, of how you're going to deal with uh, some of the difficult things that happen in your life. And, And I'll talk a little bit more about that. Well, Lisa, I, I can tell you very directly that your mother's been smiling at you ever since and waving, uh, but uh, you've done her proud. But that is quite a story. That it, and we all, we are all introverted. We're all insecure in numbers of ways. Sometimes people are really boisterous when they really are insecure, just to kind of mask it. But that really is quite a story, and good for you. So, how did you? But how did this all get focused into aviation? Uh, what? What yeah. was the? the dream that, that started that uh, in operation? Yeah, well, you know, when I, I ended up, uh, in terms of fulfilling this promise, I ended up going through lots of different schools because I thought, oh, my mother will, you know, you, you overcompensate sometimes for a weakness, and so I started to go, and I said, oh, I'm just going to go to school and go to school and go to school. And th- the thing is, when I was growing up, I... I had this flying dream, and my book actually starts out with it. Um, when and so a lot of this has to do with my interests early on. I went, when I was little. I was um, 
eight or nine years old, I saw my brother pull the Toro self-propelled lawnmower out of the garage, and all I could think about was, if I hooked my little red wagon up to the lawnmower, then I could make, you know, a transportation device. So for me, the flying early on was, how do I, you know, how do I get these things to work in my favor? And I went, I ended up uh, hooking this thing up to my little red wagon and, um, to the shock of a neighbor who came running out, I'm, he sees me coming down the road in this, you know, wagon with this Toro. And, you know, back then, there weren't any safety devices on lawnmowers. I mean, the blades are going around and spewing out debris everywhere. And I was having a wonderful time, and the neighbor ran out. And he said, you can't do that. He kept repeating that. You can't do that. And I said, I am doing it. And so he ran over and he turned it off. But I started to, it sounds crazy, I started to get a little bit of confidence because I said, you know, I can. I can do these things. So I, I actually didn't learn how to fly until I was out of college because I'd hold down a full-time job. So once I had my pilot's license... I couldn't wait to go visit people and, you know, fly there. And then I found out to, it's very expensive to rent an airplane. So I said, oh, no, I mean, how, what am I going to do? I can't afford to buy one. I said, oh, you know. So there's a magazine called Kit Planes, and this is much later in life. I was in my 40s when I finally realized I could build an airplane. And I and I saw the one I wanted, and I went to the the airplane show, and I and I picked it out, and it and it was just so exciting, I couldn't believe it. And that's that's how I actually got involved in in actually building the airplane. That's amazing. Just off the off the top, you've you've uh, what do you I can't, you can't do that, you can't do that, and you thought to yourself, well, not only I can, I am, and and you're exactly right. Must have been quite a sight though to see that. Toro lawnmower pulling your wagon down the street. Uh, that would get people's attention. And I'm sure it was oh, a little it was, noisy, it was too. <laughs> I wish I had, a, pic, <laughs> wish I had a video of it. But when you when you get a kit pain, I, plane, I've never really spoken to somebody that has put one together. Is it certified for safety by the FAA? Do you have to, before you can take it in the air, I assume you have to get some form of certification or inspection? Well, that's an amazing thing. And there's uh, quite a bit of difference between that, that. This was back in the 1990s. And between then and now, nowadays, uh, it's much more controlled. But back then, you could, you could, and that's why it was called an experimental airplane, you could do anything. And the FAA, this is the wild thing, and people find this hard to believe. The FAA actually tells you to get a DAR, which is, called, which is a, a designated airworthiness representative, who, somebody who comes and inspects your airplane, but they are not inspecting it for safety. They are inspecting it for paperwork. Doesn't that sound like uh, the FAA? Yes. Sounds like government <laughs> bureaucracy to me, I should say. So, but, I mean, when you think about um, our libertarian values... And you think about the building of an airplane, this is pretty cool because what the law says is you can go do anything you want to and we don't really 
care about it. We hope you build something safe, but what we care about is that it's registered and, and that you built it because the rule says that you built it for education and recreation. So that's an amazing thing. Now, uh, today you can do the same thing, and the DAR will do the same thing. They're not, uh, they're going to try to look some, they're going to say, well, I can tell from the builder's log whether the person is going to kill themselves or not um, in general, but they don't do a very thorough inspection. So that's, um, it's pretty neat because that freedom that we have uh, has not been impinged for, you know, since the, since the law was written. So I'm really pleased about that. Well, I, I don't mean to be so blunt, actually, Lisa, but life can be dangerous. You know, if life takes yeah. risks. So I think that we should probably uh, actually prohibit skydiving because it could be risky. And we certainly should prohibit uh, letting anybody fly their plane. Uh, in fact, we really <laughs> should also prohibit people getting up on ladders because sometimes people fall off ladders. You know, but I, I had a really good friend. He was an attorney here in Orange County, California. And uh, he said that he climbs Mount Baldy, which is here in Southern California, pretty much every week and invited me if I'd like to go with him one time. And it was during the summer, so I don't know why not. It was really pretty rigorous, but he ended up being killed the next winter because he was climbing in the snow and he'd camp in the snow and somehow I guess he lost his balance and he fell to his death but and I, I don't grieve for him he was doing what he loved to do and he understood yep. the risks he understand there are risks in this world just getting in your car and driving is a risk uh, but uh, you know that's that's part of life and and if you're allowed to take your risks by the government I mean the government should have nothing to do with it unless you put other people's safety at risk and that's different but uh, you know you should be able to look at that and to and adjust accordingly. And, and I've got to tell you, too, on this subject, it keeps coming into my mind that I really miss John Denver. And John Denver loved to fly, and he actually died flying some form of experimental aircraft off Monterey Bay. But he knew the risks, and he was prepared to take them, just like my friend and attorney. And so were you. You knew full well that you could run into a, into a mountain or, or uh, uh, run into the water or whatever. But risks are part of life. You want to take calculated risks, of course. And then the difference between a risk and a gamble is, in my opinion, a gamble you have no control over it. You know, you roll the dice and that's a gamble. You can't control it. But with a risk, you know, you can reduce your risks and, and be intelligent. But but I just really appreciate what you're doing here. You are a role model for us all and good for you. So when did you start flying? When when did And explain uh, when you did that and, and the exhilaration or the fun and the process. Well, it was, I was just out of college, and I moved to Florida because that's where my sister was, and she said, come on down here and uh, find a job, and I, I, had, to, I had to find a, a job that, uh, wait, here, I was supposed to teach English. I, I graduated in, in English. I was supposed to teach English, and I said, you know, I don't really want to do that. I think I want to work high-rise construction, so... I ended up working high-rise construction, and I met somebody there who was a pilot. And then my uh, my sister's friend was also a pilot, and I just ended up listening to these people. And then the uh, my sister's friend decided to uh, fund my solo. So that's about 
five hours of flying that uh, that he paid for. So I soloed in 1975. But then, because I had to go to work, as many of us do, I wasn't able to continue it. So it wasn't until 1995 that I got my license. So in 1995, I got my license. And this this aircraft, uh, I I built it in my garage. And it's fun because the uh, neighbors would drive by and they would stop and look and they'd want to come and see where the uh, where the airplane was in the construction stage, but it's, it took about twenty hours, and I mean twenty um, twenty months, and uh, see one thousand eight hundred and thirty four hours to construct, and I loved it. It was just great, and you could actually do it in your. Did you do it by garage. yourself? Did you let anybody yep. help you, or you did it by yourself? I did it by myself. I, a couple of times to. When the plane was almost done, I needed help pulling it, pulling the fuselage out into the driveway and putting it on slings so I could work on it out there. So I'd call up the neighbor and I'd say, "Come over here, please, and help me with this." <laughs> you know, it, it is great. quite a quite a story. You go from an introverted little girl who was hiding in the closet to a quietly feisty woman who says, "You know, by thunder, I can do anything that I want to do." And uh, it reminds me of the old saying, the best man for the job is a woman. And uh, you could you could certainly <laughs> carrying that out. So uh, so what? Tell, tell us more about your experience then. You've got your plane. You've got it uh, certified or whatever. I know you have to get it licensed, which means, of course, you just have to pay money to the government. They have to get their, right. their share. But uh, tell us about your, your inaugural flight on your own airplane. Now, what did you do? What were thoughts going through your mind? And where were you? Uh, it was it was great. Uh, the the uh, the airport wasn't very far away from the house, and so I and I assembled the airplane there. The final assembly happened at the airport, and it was a two place airplane. But when you test the aircraft, the FAA says you can you can test if they test it for forty hours, and you can't take anyone in the airplane. So and that and that's okay. So I. Um, I had to be by myself. I couldn't get any expert, you know, help. But what had happened, while I was building the airplane, I was dreaming about it. And every night I would dream about what this plane was going to feel like when I was flying it. And the other thing that I got, Jim, was I had uh, a friend who had the same type of airplane, and he let me fly with him. In that airplane, it, the engine wasn't as powerful, so the characteristics were a little bit different. But gave me a sense for how the airplane was going to feel. But at night, in my dreams, I'd be flying it. And if for anybody who's gotten into a Mazda Miata, in my dream, the airplane was was like strapping it on. It was just or or have, it's like putting on a glove, and then you become a part of the machine. So in my dream, that's how I felt. So I said, well, I sure hope that it flies that way. So that day I had people there to help me and, uh, you know, to watch me. And if there was a problem, you know, to call a fire truck. But I took off and I reached pattern altitude and I started down, it's called downwind. 
because I wanted to do a landing right away. I didn't want to. <clears throat> I didn't want to get out of the pattern. If I was, if I had a problem, I wouldn't be able to land. So I'm on downwind, and I look at my speed, and I, you should be going about you know, maybe 90 miles an hour on downwind, and I was going 125. Uh-huh. And I went, oh no. <laughs> What am I going to do? And I I got a little panicky. The airplane's going way too fast. So I didn't land. I overflew the airport, and I tried it again. Well, this time, it was going 100. I went, oh, no, come on. So I went around again. Of course, everybody thought this was on purpose. That You know, they said, oh, she just doesn't want to land yet. They all thought it was a lot of fun. I'm going so fast. So finally... On the third circuit, I said, please, just settle down a minute. Just settle down a minute. Calm down. Pull the power out. Pull the power out. So I, I pulled the throttle back, took a deep breath, and I got my speed stabilized so I could make an approach to land. And I landed, and it was a good landing for a first landing. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. And it was the most exhilarating most exciting thing I have ever done, and it flew just like the dream. I can tell you, when I was in the Navy, I learned to scuba dive. I was in station in the island of Guam, and uh, it, you know, scuba diving is not particularly hard. Flying is not particularly hard unless you all of a sudden face that emergency, that that situation that that you couldn't expect. I only had it happen to me once when I was scuba diving that, uh, I don't know, something got tangled or something went on, and I thought to myself, oh, wait a minute, Jim, don't get excited. Just relax. You you can do this. But had I not gotten that training, I could have panicked, and then you you start doing bad things and dying. It would be the same thing, I assume, uh, flying a plane. How much training did you need in order to get your pilot's license, and have you ever encountered one action? situation like I did when I was scuba diving uh, where something unexpected happened but because you had your training you didn't panic and you just uh, calm down and say wait a minute you know I can do this did, has any similar experience happened to you yeah yes it did um, to get your pilot's license it's about takes about 40 hours of training most people it's more like 60 uh, so but but being in in that size airplane is really different from the airplanes that you train in. And so I had to get used to the size. It was very small. I loved it. It was just great. But I had uh, a situation where I was flying on my solo, and I was uh, coming over the forests of Georgia. And you always train for an engine out, but you never you never want it. And I, I felt the engine kind of start to fail and I'm you know in that moment it's um it's like a mother hearing the cry of a child it's it's you, you know it's primal and I went oh no no there's something something happening and so I I started my checklist and I changed the tanks I had two tanks uh, of fuel on the airplane and it smoothed right out but it was Really, I was really panicky. I was very, uh, very frightened. Well, luckily, I was just about to land anyway. I was visiting friends, and I landed, but I was still just really in shock. Well, I, I found out there was debris in the fuel filter on the left tank, 
So, but it was it was really scary. Yes, yes. But your training, I assume, just stepped in. Uh, and, you know, actually, Lisa, that's true in all walks of life. And no matter what you're doing, uh, if you panic, you're going to end up in trouble. Of course, uh, it's a lot better to have car trouble if for your fuel filter instead of uh, an airplane at uh, several thousand feet up in the air. So you have to take those extra things. But it really is, it is true in all walks of life. And if you just plan and you understand, yes, you can do this. uh, And if something goes wrong, don't panic. Just use your head and and you'll be able to fly it down. One time, I have not flown in very many small planes, but uh, the one time I did the pilot friend of mine said, well, you see those clouds over there? They look really quiet, but boy, I tell you, we do not want to go through those clouds because there's a lot of turbulence there. Is, is that true? Do most clouds have turbulence that you try to avoid? They do. They do, and it's, you know, it's because of temperature changes. But there was mm-hmm. one time uh, I had a good friend of mine who had an airplane just like mine, and I said, you know what? You need to spot me. I want to fly through a cloud. <laughs> so he said, okay. So the two of us went up flying, and I flew through a cloud. Because <laughs> He said, well, I'll check and see if there's anything on the other side of it. Because you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to fly through clouds. But so I, you know, but I had him check it out, and I flew through a cloud, and it's, it's, it's different. It is turbulent, well, yeah. You know, as as you as a pilot know, but a lot of things in life look quiet and tranquil until you get in them, and then they are turbulent, and and all of us just have to do these things. Well, we're going to come back, uh, take our break in a moment, but ladies and gentlemen, we are hearing a role model. You know, somebody that's, that's... said, yes, I can do that, and set her sights on it. And of course, you know, like I say, I'll say it again, the best, often the best man for the job is a woman. Just because you're a woman doesn't mean you cannot do anything. Uh, and uh, we all believe those are libertarian values, equal opportunity for all at all levels of society. So we're going to come back just thinking about that. It's just exciting. We're going to get into her her long flight. My goodness sakes, <laughs> she flew on from South Florida to Bar Harbor in Maine and back. That's something on the order of 4,000 miles. And we're going to talk about that in a minute after we come back after these messages. Stay tuned. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Libertarian Party is the third largest political party in the United States, and it's more successful than ever. We don't just talk the talk of individual liberty and free markets. We also walk the walk. Libertarian Party candidates are getting elected to office across the United States, and we are making a difference. The Libertarian Party is also the only third party that routinely has ballot access in every state. Our achievements and influence grow every year, and you can be part of that success. You can register as a Libertarian Party voter in your state to help us achieve easier ballot access. You can also visit lp.org today to become a member of the Libertarian Party, no matter which party you register with. Join the Libertarian Party today at lp.org. Together, we can move mountains. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. To find out more about Judge Gray, visit JudgeJimGray.com. That's JudgeJimGray.com. Now, back to All Rise. Well, welcome back. This is Judge Jim Gray on All Rise. And talk about talk about All Rise. Boy, Lisa Turner has all rised all over the place in her airplane as well as just psychologically and overcoming a timidity that uh, all of us have at some form or another. But uh, before we do that, as I try to adhere to my wife's recommendation that I throw in a little bit of silliness, and this is usually when I do it. So I did hear that a man was was talking to some people and introducing his children, his three daughters, who were uh, Faith, Hope, and Charity. And someone said, well, how did you end up naming your three daughters Faith, Hope, and Charity? And said, well, actually, I was going to name them Surely, Goodness, and Mercy, but I was afraid they'd follow me all the days of my life. At any rate, we'll do what we can. But uh, Welcome back, Lisa, and uh, it's just, just an exciting thing to, to talk about because the values that, yes, you can, uh, and John Kennedy said, you know, the longest tr- uh, trip starts with a single step, and, and you've taken that step, and your mom is still waving at you and smiling at you, but you are t- leading us up to this really long trip that you you built your airplane, you, you in effect, showed people, people had to have thought you were crazy doing this when you were building an airplane as a woman, of all things, uh, in your garage. Uh, and I'm sure you faced a lot of ridicule, and, and there was a lot of that, too. But then uh, you said, well, okay, I'm going to fly. I'm down here in South Florida, and I'm going to fly to Bar Harbor, Maine. Uh, what did people say when you suggested that? Yeah, it, my family really thought that I was crazy. Now, not psychologically crazy, but in terms of making the wrong decisions, and especially uh, especially my sister was, oh, no, this is, this, this is the wrong path to be on, and so I know I, there were a few individuals who were very supportive and thought it was neat, but for the most part, people really um, wondered, you know, wh- why I was doing that, and, and they, were, they were surprised because it, it was very different or a female, to be doing that. But when I decided to, to go to Maine, and that's where my family was, and I told them, you know, I'm going to want to fly the airplane up there, and they said, you really shouldn't do it. It's dangerous. Uh, we don't want you to do it. it. They really gave me a hard time, and I said, well, I'm going to anyway. And the the joy of the of flying and realizing you're in a small aircraft all by yourself in the air was just overwhelming and it never went away when I as I flew I was just amazed at the experience it was more exciting and life-changing than I'd ever thought was possible and what happened in during the trip and I had all kinds of adventures during the trip which is you know when I started writing the book it was about the the flying adventures 
but it turned into really it turned into a different a kind of thing when I when I realized that I was here I was flying to see my family and they they really weren't excited about it but when I got there and they they showed up at the airport a few didn't but most of them showed up at the airport um, they were very excited about it and then I was able to convince the rest of my family that it was okay, and they realized that I'd made the trip, and it was okay, and that uncertainty that they'd, they'd had disappeared, and they all just greeted me with open arms, and it was kind of a like a reconciliation with my entire family, and especially my dad, because he left when I was six. So I got to know him, and it was just amazing. On the, well, you... on the trip home... I was so happy. The last leg at 9,500 feet, I looked out over the sky, this huge, immense sky full of colors and shapes and, and floating between heaven and earth and realized that everything was just fine. It was just indescribably wonderful and that, that everything's okay. You know, we go in our inner lives, we keep saying, oh, I have to do this, I have to do that. Um, what are these people going to think of me, and how's this going to turn out? And when I was in that airplane up there, I said, you know what, just let that fall away. Let it fall away and, you know, be who we are. It's okay. It's okay. And that was that, the message I got in the air. You know what, it's okay. And I, had, and I wrote the book because I had to tell people that. Indeed. You know, you say that they were excited. I would go beyond that and say they were excited at the beginning, and that was overcome by being proud of, of seeing you. you. You set up a challenge for yourself, and you met it, looked it straight in the eye and met it. Uh, and, uh, you know, and there's another lesson in there, too, that you touched on, which is, you know, what do you really care what people think about you? That, that uh, That's fine, but it's superficial. But you get the gratification of seeing that mountain up there preparing to climb that mountain, climbing it successfully. I mean, that's what, that's what life is, really brings a great deal of gratification that you, that you brought to yourself and then to others. Because, yes, you say that you, were, you wrote a book on this. What caused you to do that? And tell us about the experience. And tell us about well, your book. Yeah, I, um, I'll back up a second, though, because you made a point at the beginning of the show, which is so important. When I was growing up, I didn't get the programming that most children get because, you know, my brother and sister were um, out of the house, but my brother was he's eight years older than I was, and I'd see him playing with trains and race cars, and so that's what I wanted to do. And the, the, there were boys in the neighborhood, and my, my mother didn't turn that off. She encouraged me and said, you know, you can... You can do these things. And so, you know, having that kind of role model was just, was just so great. So making that trip, that solo trip, and having my family accept me was like it was coming full circle. And it was just, it was just so, uh, it was so great. I really just felt inspired by that. 
Well, Lisa, I I can tell you that my father was an inspiration in exactly the same way that uh, I had several playmates growing up, but one lived across the street and her name was Diane Davis. And she was really good athletically and we'd play, you know, games together and all that sort of stuff. And then my dad ended up coaching a little league team and he let Diane play. And oh, all these eyebrows were going up. Oh, you can't let a girl. Of course I can, he said. And this is back in the middle 1950s. But just showing people that, yes, not only you can, but that it's perfectly appropriate. And by the way, I'll go on to say that my father actually uh, was talking to a friend of his. Uh, it was a, a woman. And uh, he said, well, let's go to lunch together at the university club. Oh, Bill, no, y- women are not allowed. You come with me. So he took this woman in and they said, oh, I'm sorry, you can't do that. Well, okay, if you don't let us do that, I'm resigning my membership. And he was pretty well known. So they let him have lunch. Eventually, he uh, introduced her as the first uh, member of that club because of course you can and, and it's just the same attitude which is the attitude that you have shown uh, you uh, you said you grew up in a neighborhood full of boys and probably didn't even realize that no no you're not supposed to be playing with electric trains you're supposed to be playing with dolls and learn how to cook and run a household uh, how did how did you overcome that by uh, <laughs> hooking your little red wagon up to the self-propelled lawnmower i bet you uh, did quite a few things with uh, like that oh i know yeah really and it's and the amazing thing is that, that I had such a good experience, uh, many good experiences doing uh, traditionally male kinds of things, but ha- having the relationships be really good. Uh, when, when I got out of college, I, I related earlier that I was supposed to teach English, and I said, no, I'd want to do something else. So I ended up working high-rise construction. And, of course, this was in the 1970s. So they were... Um, they're all men, and uh, they they were a little bit uh, unsure about what I was doing on the site and what I was going to do. And so right off the bat, they put me through some hazing where they said, well, you need to carry these six doors up to the sixth floor. I was a trim carpenter. And, uh, of course, they have freight elevators. But I carried them all up, and I didn't complain. And then... They totally accepted me, and they realized that you know I was I was fine with that, and it was it was the beginning of a great relationship. Sure. Another situation was after that I decided to uh, I wanted to be a a bicycle mechanic, a bicycle repair mechanic, and I applied for a job. And again, in the in the seventies, I applied for a job in this small bike shop. And I uh, went for the interview, and he goes, he looks up from his desk, and he goes, can I help you? And I said, I'm here to apply for this job. And he, he looks at me, and he goes, you're a girl. <laughs> and I went, yeah. <laughs> and he kind of, oh, kind of, he was, he, he didn't say it to, to be mean. He just was surprised. And uh, so I went to the interview, and it's funny, because back then, you know, all the, the rules that we have, now, you know, to prevent discrimination back then, he's going, right, you're not married, are you? You know, and he's going on and on about all this stuff. Well, I'm asking all these questions that he shouldn't have asked, and, uh, and I said, oh, you know, I, he doesn't he doesn't understand all the rules. That's okay. I don't, it doesn't bother me. And he's, he's funny. He said, now, I have two other guys working here for me, and uh, now you, you have to, don't mess with them. You know, it's, it's so funny. And I said, <laughs> Don't worry, I won't. I won't. I'll be completely professional. 
But I understood where he was coming from. He was, you know, a little less educated, and he cared about people getting along, and uh, he cared about not having extra drama introduced to any of his uh, situations. And it was it was great. I got along really well with everybody. So, I mean, it, you know, it could have happened. It could have been different. I mean, you could have had somebody say, oh, that was terrible. But, you know, if you say, hey, I'm going to get along, you can do it. Sure. Certainly. You know, people feel entitled. And, and that's just, we all have to earn our stripes by producing. No excuses. I mean, people just want results. They, they don't want excuses. And they're willing to take anybody that will do the job. But you have to prove it. You proved it by carrying six uh, doors up, up six flight of stairs or whatever. But, but it's just simply true in life. And nobody wants that extra drama either. But before we run out of time, Lisa, tell us, yeah. how did you, when did you start writing? And uh, why did you end up writing your book uh, that, that uh, has come out really so well? But uh, tell us a little bit about that experience. Well, it the the experience was so dynamic for me. I realized I had to get the story out for other people, and Which I, experience? I started it. It was uh, took twenty years to come out, which sounds crazy, but the but it started out as the adventures, and then I realized, well, you know what? It's really more about. Uh, making choices and realizing that anybody can do what they really want to do. And it doesn't have to be building an airplane. It can be learning how to play the piano, starting a business, building a home, learning how to cook, writing a book. It could be anything. And so how do I, through writing my story, how do I get other people to realize that they can do anything and don't let any, don't let things hold you back. So it, that's how it kind of turned into a memoir, but a little bit of a twist because I realized at the end of the book I had to put instructions for people to figure out how to get what they want. So if you've got a dream and you really want to get there, how do you do it? So it's one thing just to hear, oh, this is wonderful, but how do you actually get there? So the the last section in, in the book switches it really into almost a self-help guide. How do you get what you want? How do you figure out what it is? How do you figure out what your values are? And then how do you put that plan in place? So that, and that, some people might not care about reading that, reading about that, but if they're at the point, they get to that point in the book, and they go, oh, wow, you know, it's not an airplane, but I'm going to start a business. Then they can get there. And, and that, to me, that was, that was really fulfilling. Certainly. You're, you're contributing to other people. You're, you're telling your story, which you couldn't keep to yourself, but then you're, you're equating that to life, to, to almost anyone. Uh, so tell us the name of your book. How can our listeners uh, get a hold of a copy? Uh, and uh, uh, just give us a little more information about what's the title and how can people get it? Sure. It's called Dream Take Flight, An Unconventional Journey. And it's listed on Amazon with two other books, uh, Team Problem Solving Guide and uh, House Keys. Before writing Dream Take Flight, I wrote a book. I was a home inspector, another unconventional career for a female. 
and I, I, as a home inspector, I realized there are so many things that people don't know that if they knew them, they could save a lot of money on their house, either building it or taking care of it. So I wrote a book about that. But Amazon is really the place to go. You can also go to my website, which is also Dream Take Flight, for more information. And I'm most excited about the audio version of the book. Mandy Michaels narrates the book. And it's, I've got, uh, uh, I'll be happy to give somebody free, a free copy of it. It's, uh, you need an Audible account. And uh, if you write me at, at Lisa at LisaTurner.com you know, or go to my website, uh, I'll send you the code for it for free for, you know, for as long as it lasts, depending on how many requests I get. I'm just giving it away. Uh, but there, you can get it in paperback, hardback, audio, or a Kindle version. It was an interesting title because one would think it would be dreams, plural, take flight. Oh, how did you choose dream, in effect, because it's really enticing. Well, when I, was, when I was little, I kept having a dream over and over and over again, and it was always the same one. So I, uh, it was a dream where I'd actually put my arms out and lift off from the backyard of the house and go flying. Uh. And I kept having it over and over again, and it was so pervasive that the book became Dream, Take Flight. The, the airplane became that dream that I'd had as a child. It's kind of karma you're talking about, in effect, that uh, you were just destined to be a pilot, to fly from, from childhood, from your dreams. Good, good for you. So, okay, now let me ask the, the straightforward, rather blunt question, which we do on All Rise on occasion. Uh, what kind of obstacles have you overcome in order to be able to have your dream take flight, uh, publish your book, uh, you know, gender issues, that sort of thing? Uh, they're out there. I, I mentioned one when, with my father uh, bringing his woman friend into a, a, a club, but uh, I'm sure that you've overcome many. Tell, tell us a little bit about that journal and, and maybe some, uh, some in, insights that we can help us all. Yeah, I, I think this is probably because of the lack of programming that I started out with when I was young. Because you know, I really, my whole life, I've felt that I've had a very, very good relationship with both men and women, but especially men. And I think that, I mean, you know, we all know fundamentally that men and women are, you know, we're not the same uh, biologically. We have different imperatives and all of that is fine, but we have to, to realize that most women are raised with this programming and the programming is it's pretty specific. It's uh, how how to play games to play the dating game to get what you want. And that, for women, that hurts them, I think. It's so much better and so much more refreshing to be straightforward and honest. And men will recognize it because uh, without that, they will, and this, again, this is just my belief, that men will get confused about what women want. If the, you know, they'll get mixed signals if women aren't really straightforward. So I think when women are straightforward in our relationship, 
men really, really appreciate that. They will do anything to help a female. So my advice to the women listening is be, be direct, and men will appreciate that. And just recognize that we're, we are trained. I mean, we're not making this stuff up. It's, it really is in the programming that we have when we grow up as little girls that, you know, that we, we find ourselves kind of play, playing the game. So kind of step back from that, and men will really, really appreciate it. I've, I have had uh, just a, a great time my whole career, and I expect to continue um, having these fantastic relationships. So I'm, you know, I'm like 180 degrees out from the Me Too stuff. I'm not saying there, that those things aren't real uh, and that we don't need to address it, but I just think there are some other ways that, you know, for someone, too, to tell the story that, gosh, this is great. Look at all the great things that men and women can accomplish together. I like hearing that story, and it's, um, you know, it just doesn't have the level of drama in it, so people don't talk about it as much. You mean men are human? Is, did, did I detect that, that concession in, in your comment? <laughs> I love it. And are, are women human too? Is that what you're trying to tell us? Isn't that something? You know, it's just, it's what a revelation. You know, I, I've just never liked games as such where people, you know, innuendo and the rest, just look somebody, I, we here in All Rise, that we say that there's nothing people should not be able to discuss together. You know, and that can be anything, religion or, or politics or sex or, or whatever else. We should be able, at the right time, of course, and not yell at each other like we're so polarized in our world today, Lisa. But but you are taking that right into account and you're putting it into your life, putting it into your book, putting it into your recommendations to others that we're all human in this experience. Get that gratification. Be honest. Be straightforward. And talk directly regardless of your race, color, creed gender, any of that stuff. We're all in, in human beings together. And that's, that's, if we employ those values, we literally will all rise together. So what was the hardest thing about writing uh, that book for either you in general or actually with this book in specifics? Because uh, you, you hadn't done that before. Uh, what was the hardest thing to overcome with regard to getting this book out there? It, it was questioning my ability to actually do it. And, and I, so to your listeners, I would say, just think about this for a minute. There are things that we say, oh, I can't do that. So and, you were hiding in the closet again. Is that what you're and, telling us? Yeah, yeah. And, and I would, I'd pull, this is for over 20 years, I would pull the manuscript out. I'd have my, some of my adventures written down, and I'd say, can I do this? Can I do this? And... I, I'd, you know, write a little bit, and I'd put it back, and write a little bit, and I'd put it back. Well, I had a dream of my mother in it, and she said, you need to finish that book. <laughs> and, oh, I need to finish this book. Well, I turned to my husband, and I said, you know, uh, I'm going on a, a business trip next week, and, um, you know, I, I've got this book half written, and it's on my computer, and, and here's, it's under this name, and, if something happens to me, if the airplane goes down, will you please pull this off my computer and give it to this person? She's an editor, and somehow it has to be finished. And he looked at me, shook his head, 
Well, about the third time that I told him that, he said, you know what, that's it. You are going to finish that book, and I'm going to help you do it. You're going to write a chapter a week. You're going to send it to me, and I'll, and I'll praise it. And I, I, then I took about, no, it was about uh, six, nine months to, to finish it. Now, you know, the editing, there was editing, but I, but I actually finished it. So for the people out there who are writing, or doing anything else that's uh, a big project, persevere. Just persevere because you can do it, and it's going to be okay. So, so sometimes we just think, oh, we're not good enough. And you, you've got to uh, build up your self-esteem and, and spend time around people who will help you build up your self-esteem and go for it. Well, Lisa Turner, thank you for being with us. You know, you're an inspiration. Uh, I'm I'm old school. I still like to have paper in my hands, so uh, I don't uh, have a Kindle. I've never read a book on a Kindle. I'm going to order Dream Take Flight uh, from Amazon and and with with pride. So I, I just. Thank you for being with us. You are an inspiration. As I say, you know, your mother is proud of you. I am proud of you. We're all proud of you. We're all individuals, people here wandering through our lives, trying to to make do. We're all hiding in a closet in some ways. We're all putting up defenses in others. But you've shown us that just being direct, being human, seeing that mountain, climbing that mountain, uh, following your dreams, all of these are libertarian values, and we will literally all rise together. You've risen. You are rising by flying your airplane, literally and figuratively, but I'm just, I'm just proud of you. Thank you for sharing your time with us, uh, and I ask our, our audience to give some thought. She's offering you a free book if you go and contact her. Uh, what was that website again, elisaturner.com? Uh, you can go to elisaturner.com. You can also go to dreamtakeflight.com, or you can write me at lisa at lisaturner.com. Outstanding. Boy, just, it's just wonderful stuff. So, so there you have it. Uh, we've gone through another experience. We, we have a variety of experiences to share in this world. We're all strong at some things and not quite as strong in others, but joining together, uh, we can truly all rise together. We can. Yes, we can. You can't do that. What do you mean I can't? I'm doing it right now. I have my lawnmower in front of me. I can just visualize that with Lisa Turner. What, four years old? How, how old were you when you were going down the road with the being Nine. pulled by your Toro? Nine years old. Okay. Well, congratulations. You're still being pulled by that lawnmower right now, and you're helping other people be pulled as well. So thank you for being with us. Ladies and gentlemen, you have heard certainly a great example, a great role model. And tune in next week. We're going to issue additional information on showing, indeed, directly how life is good. There are a lot of bad things going out in the world, and we know that, but there are a lot of good things, too, and you've heard about one of them from our guest, Lisa Turner. Thank you. Continue to, uh, to all rise, and we will speak again next week. In the meantime, once again, I say, life is good. Thanks for listening today. All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray can be heard every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time and 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We know you'll want to join us again next week and tell your friends that help is on the way. Strengthen my ball.